there ever was a topic that most preachers are asked to speak upon, it is the Christian home. Most of us want a happy, enjoyable home in which to rear our children, in which to carry about our lives. For the next few weeks, Lord willing, I would like for us to consider God give us Christian homes. The truth is, the home in America is in trouble. If you haven't taken much time recently to look, the home is facing a number of challenges. It is not politically correct anymore to speak of the home as mom and dad and the kids because that doesn't look like the American home anymore. The life that many of us were reared in is not the life that exists in our country anymore. The question is, should we conform to this world's view of the home and of marriage and all the things that are a part of it, or should we be transformed by God's message? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul would say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I have to realize that God expects us not to conform, but to be different to think differently because of what God has said. My suggestion for you in the beginning at this introductory lesson is the Bible is God's answer for the home. And what we're going to do in our lesson this morning is look at three very simple things. We're going to look, first of all, at the disaster in the family. I believe it's worth taking a few moments for us to look at what is in our world today and what we are facing. Number two, to talk about the determining factor in our marriages and in our homes. What is it that causes us to do what we do, live how we live, and so order our lives? And then number three, to look at some divine directions, divine definitions, if you will. Let's begin, first of all, to look at the home. I'm going to tell you it's hard to be optimistic about the home today because of what is going on in our country. Many of these statistics are verifiable. Uh, you can look them up. I spent time looking most of these up this past week. The first one is the divorce rate. 3.2% in our country. And somebody said, well, that's not too bad. But that works out to 6,646 each day. That's how many homes are broken. That's how many lives are uh, broken apart and children who are rendered a part of a broken home. But you see, that doesn't even tell the whole story. Because in our society today, many people have chosen no longer to get married. They just simply live together. And were you to take that and to extrapolate how many people break homes, it would be even worse than that. The marriage rate now is only 6.8%. That ought to shock us. 
that ought to make us say, what is going on in our country? People are living in fornication, and they think nothing about it. I mentioned it wasn't too long ago. I had two ladies come in the office asking for the church to provide them housing. The first younger lady looked at us, and she said, my boyfriend and I would like for the church to pay our rent. And I said, we can't support you living in fornication. She said, what's that? I'm serious. Her mother said, I know, and I'm living in it too. It's a different world in which we live. And the average first marriage lasts only eight years. And over 40 years, 67% of first marriages end in divorce. That's two-thirds of them. Those figures ought to make us think, what's wrong with our society? When you go from marriage and the divorce rate, then you think about teen pregnancy. 89% of teen mothers who are pregnant are unmarried. That tells you that there's a lot of fornication going on. That tells you that the idea of having a home where you have a mom and a dad is, is not really that serious. In 2014, approximately 19% of the pregnancies, excluding the miscarriages, ended in abortion. One in five. Here's five women that get pregnant. One of them is going to decide to take the life of her unborn child. That's a tragedy in our nation. An estimated 926,240 abortions took place in the United States in 2014. Almost a million children. In Tennessee, it's not much better. The total abortions was 11,411 in 2015. That's a 12%. Even though our state is supposedly one of those states which makes it more difficult for a woman to get an abortion, supposedly where we have more people who are members of the church or at least are religious people, still more than one in ten. Gay marriages. The Supreme Court ruled in 2015 that no longer could marriages be only between a man and a woman, but it could be between two men or two women. And that the states must grant marriage license to those people. And I know many of you are saying, but that's those people out in California. That's those people a long way away, and it's not affecting us. This Friday morning, I received an email, and at Camp High Lake, Quebec, on November the 15th through the 17th, they're going to hold an LGBTQ plus seminar. Oh, it's not to, to teach them that this is ungodly, this is an abomination. This is to make them feel accepted. You don't believe it? Read the email. In fact, here's a picture of what was sent to the church here to advertise it. I'm advertising it. I'm advertising it as being an abomination to the Lord. It's what his word teaches. Then there are parents 
who either are no longer practicing any sort of discipline toward their children, or there's some who are going beyond and above and they're abusing their children. You see, we live in a society today that no longer respects marriage, that no longer respects the sanctity of marriage and the conceiving of children. It no longer respects God's design and it no longer even respects the children that are born in that home. The family has become unhappy, dysfunctional, and falling apart. How did we get here? You know, if you walk in your house one day and the roof is leaking, the floor is falling through, and the windows are broken out, something happened. Somewhere along the line, something brought all that to pass. And you have to ask the question, how did we get to this point? Now, the world is telling us this is a new normal. Just get used to it. This is what the family is going to look like. Well, is there any hope for the home? I didn't paint that picture to scare you. You know that that's what's existing today. The reason for painting that picture is to ask the question, is there anything we can do about it? Well, let me talk to you for a few minutes about determining factors. What determines the nature of the home in our country? And in fact, I might even ask the question, what determines the nature of your home? How do you make decisions? You know, if the roof's leaking, the floor's falling through, the windows are broken in your home, I might ask the question, what are you doing in your home? Many people, feelings. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, oh, but you don't understand. I, I don't feel like I love this person anymore. You don't understand I just don't, I think it's not right for me to have to continue. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 25 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I can't go by how I feel. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 12 says there's a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. You mean that we live in a world today that may believe that it's okay and it's not okay? You see, if I start making decisions based on my feelings, then when you make me mad, I give up and I quit. I run. You see, because people are deciding on their homes based on their feelings. Number two. Some people say, I'm going to let my conscience be my guide. Very close to feelings is a person believing, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, and, and I, I'm just not going to do anything that I think would feel wrong. But you go to Proverbs, or excuse me, Acts 23, verse 1. Paul would say, I have lived in good conscience before God until this day. There are times when we do things, we 
think it's all right, but in reality it's not. The only way to address a conscience is to educate it, to make sure that it knows the truth, and that's what Paul learned. But third, also sort of related, is the idea of common sense. And you know, we laugh and we talk about the importance of common sense in our society today and how little there is of it. But common sense says, this is something that I know innately. And I know that uh, this is, I can come out with the right figuring of the way to do things in my own head. In Jeremiah 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know the way of man. It is not in man to walks who direct his own steps. I know man, I know the way he lives, and man by himself does not know. Because what happens, either it's your feelings or it's your conscience or it's something else, and then you're saying, oh, my common sense, and... Look at the, what we've gotten from that. Because what we have is a world today that says, I'm not going to take God into the picture. I'm going to make my decisions on how I feel, how I think, and what happens to my ideas. And look where it's gotten us. Somebody says, but I, I'm a religious person. And I'm going to follow the creeds that have been set forth in my religious group. The Catholic Church has their creed. So do many of the Protestant churches. You'll have churches that will say you, you can do this or you cannot do that. And some will go and they'll say, okay, here's what our church says and so that's what I'm going to do. We actually have a church here in McMinnville that has on their website marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and it's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. Mark 7 and verse 9, he said to them, all well, too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. In verse 13, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have had to doubt, and many such things you do. Many people will say, well, in my church, it's okay. My church or the Lord's church? Who makes the decisions? What is the determining factor? You see, as you and I are trying to decide what we're going to do in our homes, what makes that decision? Only the Bible is the infallible guide for determining what is right. It's not what I think or you think. It's not what society thinks. It's what God has said. And we're going to have to let the Bible be our guide in everything. Listen to Paul as he writes the Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible's inspired. That means that when I open that book and I read it, I'm not reading the opinions of Paul and the opinions of Peter. I'm reading what God, through the Holy Spirit, gave them to tell us that God wants us to do. Peter expressed it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. As his divine power has granted or given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. Do you see that all things have been given to us of God? What has been given? Things that pertain to life and godliness. And he says, it's through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. That's verse 4 and 5. But you see, our problem is being willing to let go of our ideas and embrace and accept God's teachings. Isaiah reflects the children of Israel during a period of time in which they were saying, Lord, we don't really want to follow your ways. And God's picture was, there's going to come a time, I'm going to bring the suffering servant and he's going to guide my people into all the truth. And he says in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor my ways, your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The God who designed man, he knows the way we think. And he's provided the guidance and the direction that we need. That brings me to the third part of our lesson, and that is, divine directions I might even ask that you think of these as divine definitions we read just a few moments ago brother Mike read for us Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25 I want you to turn there with me again I want us to reflect upon God's original intent of what was to take place and see if you notice anything here. And the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone. Pause. God made man a social being. God knew that there needed to be a companion for man. And thus God said I will make a helper comparable to him. We need a help meet. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and all the, every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused 
a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up its flesh in its place. And then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. God made the woman, he brought her to the man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now notice the key word in verse 24, therefore. Based upon everything else that has just been said, a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Verse 24 tells you that you have one man, you have one woman, and God says that's the marriage. And verse 25 says they were naked, both a man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. That's the part of the consummation of marriage. It's only within marriage that that consummation is to take place. That's God's design for marriage. But many people say, but you don't understand. I don't love her anymore. What you're saying is, I don't lust for her anymore. You're saying, I'm not pleased anymore. That's not what the Bible talks about love. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, let the church be subject to Christ, and so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, just like the word therefore, based upon that, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You think about that. The love that he describes here is, is love in action. Love that serves. Love that gives. And then he says in verse 31, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they shall two become one flesh. That's going all the way back to Genesis 2 and verse 24. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just talk about it. Show it. Do something. God's idea of love in the home is not, I tell you I love you, that's fine, that's good, that's proper. But that I actually show it by the things I do and the way I live. The word divorce is an ugly word. It is. I can tell you I know why it's ugly because God doesn't like it. 
In Malachi 2, verse 16, to the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God doesn't like the splitting up of homes. Mark chapter 6. It's really the sum and substance of what cost John the Baptist his life. Herod had sinned and laid hold of John, bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now why? For he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Oh, but he had married her. People in our world today and many religious people would say, it's all right as long as they got married. No, it's not. Because in God's eyes, you can't just turn around and divorce and remarry, divorce and remarry. That's not God's plan. Jesus put it simply in Matthew 19 and verse 9. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife... except for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. You know what that says to our society today? It says to our society today, your flippancy, your carelessness with marriage is unacceptable. What it says is is that God intended marriage to be something to be permanent. And you've treated it like it's not permanent. And there's all kinds of consequences that arise from that. What happens when one rejects the directions that God gives? Well, it's pretty simple. John 12, verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. When you and I stand before the God of heaven and he takes look at our life and compares it to his book, we're going to be judged by that. But it's not just me. It's not just you. It's every one of us. We will stand and give an account for our lives before God. God has given us a pattern for Christian homes. It's going to be our plan over the next few weeks to to look at that as we take the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, and see if we can perceive the pattern that God had for the church and then the pattern that he had for the home. And God's way is always best. I have no doubt about that. But let me end our lesson this way. The only way to be what God wants us to be is to be a part of his family, to be one of his children. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're of Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Yes, here is God's call. And I would ask the question, are you a child of God? If you're not, you can't be everything God wants you to be. God sent Jesus to allow you to be a part of his family. But to be a part of his family, you've got to have faith in his son. And you've got to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We're going to sing the song, God is Calling the Prodigal. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, God is looking for you, waiting on you. It's now your time to make your decision to do what you know you need to do as together we stand and sing.